Hello, you are listening to Stramash number 42. I'm your host, Ian Simpson, and it's the 27th of July 2012. This podcast is called Where's My Summer?
ground with a white blanket. A young man possessed by the stars walks. Now, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, being in Slovenia. Were all these songs written while you're over there, or did you have some of these in mind beforehand? Like, how did the album develop that way? Was it? Uh... Um, I, I'd written almost all of them here before I went there, and but wrote them here with this record in mind, which is a, is a, is a fun way to write for a record, kind of more inspiring when you know you're writing for a situation. And um, and I've done this a few other times in records. I've, I've gone somewhere and in my mind had the idea of what a Tucson record should sound like or what a Boston record should sound like. So this time I had this idea of what a Slovenian record, you know, and in my mind it's, you know, they're all kind of Balkans or Cossacks or whatever living off in the, you know, and then it's, it's kind of, it's like a scene out of Reds or something like that. You know, I mean, I, I, had, I had my vision of what it would be like to be there for that long. And of course, nothing like that, just a, a very sophisticated, um, bustling European city. But I kind of, I, I wrote the album, I listened to a lot of Slovenian folk music and a lot of, and also a lot of Slovenian rock bands and kind of, you know, figured this is kind of what will fit there. And then once I got there, then I retooled the songs with Chris, wrote a few extra ones hanging out there. Okay. It was definitely written with the, with this, with that place in mind. Right, that's what I was wondering because, you know, you have the Miracle 3 on the last four records? Um, well, three, I guess three, three now. Yeah. Three. And, and, the and three, I guess the three I did out in Tucson. Right, right, the, the Tucson uh, trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and so I was wondering if like some of these songs or if you tried them out in, in, in other settings and it didn't work, but so it was specifically for this. For this really project. is, yeah. There, it's, it's a record that was written for this, that, this experience. And, and it's kind of thing, and this is actually, this often can be a really you know, 
some of the best records seemed to come out of this, but I went out there not knowing what was going to happen. I didn't know, I didn't even really know Chris Eckman that well. He's a guy, much like Scott McCoy in the Baseball Project, uh, somebody who I'd met here and there, who we had friends in common, who we kind of traveled the same roads to do a lot of the same things, but I hadn't hung out that much. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's kind of a little bit scary when you got your plane booked, you've got a hotel booked, you're, you're getting ready to go, and you realize, I'm going to a city I don't know that well, right. to hang out for three for the guy I don't know that well, and, you know, with a bunch of songs that I haven't really tested out that much, you know, and, and it could be, I could be there on the third day saying, what the hell did I do? I gotta, you know, <laughs> right. I gotta rent some, a lot of DVDs right now and <laughs> pass the time away, but no, it, you know, and that kind of fear is, I, for me at least, is really good for making a record, because you're not... You're not so settled and so confident. Right, so out, of, out of the comfort zone, right? You're out of the comfort zone. It kind of yeah. makes you try harder. You're also, when you're, and I think this way too, when you're collaborating with somebody you don't know and you're out of your comfort zone, you want to be your best. You want to sort of show off a little bit. You know, with your own, with people you've already, who've already seen, you know, who've seen you at you know, 7 a.m. in a van with a hangover, you know, uh, years over there. So, um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you, you, you know, all the, all the cards are on the table. It's harder to, to, to try to impress them. They, they can call your bluff. <laughs> but, uh, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's you're working with somebody new. You want to show them what you got. sky place it in a jar I'll collect it when I die sliding from a star and down through the sky Peel away the mystery Flash out at the night I can change the storyline I cannot make it right But I'll try Words come drifting by I could not reply Punching holes in the sky Punching holes in the sky You don't have to feel afraid The rage is all for show I can always draw the line But sometimes It's so hard To know Words come drifting by But I could not reply Punching Sky, punching holes in the sky.
sky Peel away the morning sky Peel away the morning sky Um, you, you mentioned that you didn't know Chris Ekman that well. Did you? Had you ever played any shows with the Walkabouts, or you were just a f- mutual fans of each other's band? We both knew each other's work a lot. We had we had done a few festivals together in Germany um, uh, over the years. Um, I think maybe one Thessalonica in Greece one time. But we so we'd been to a, a few of the same places. Um, had worked with a lot of the same people, but really, yeah, hadn't hadn't hung out that much. Now, does he still have the walkabouts? Do they play in Europe? They still? do. Or he and plays solo? Oh. He does everything. He is, I mean, he's, he's got the walkabouts who play all the time, still make records. He's got um, a project called Chris and Carla with yeah, Carla Torgerson. Yeah, right. Still does that actively. He um, made a record this year called Dirt Music with um, Chris Brokaw and um, Hugo Race, um, a musician from Germany. And that did pretty well. And he really, you know, I mean, unfortunately, Chris doesn't play the States that much. Yeah, I was going to say, until, yeah. until you know, I started reading up on him a little bit for this, I kind of had, you know, I mean, it was a big Walkabouts fan when they used to be, you know, the, putting out U.S. records. Those old sub-pop records. Yeah, there, yeah, exactly. And then um, I just kind of lost track, and you can't keep up with everybody. And then uh, I didn't realize he was still that, that active over there. It's one of those things that happens a lot to, to, um, to a lot of U.S. musicians who made a stir at one point or another, and they go to Europe and pretty much just work there only because it's so great, you know, for people like like Chris, like um, to some extent Giant Sand or, or Willow Grand Conspiracy, but, you know, the bands who do play here as well, or Tony Joe White or Willie right. DeVille, or right. I'm just going off the top of my head, and you can go on with a sure. list like that for a long, even in me to some extent, I try to play the States a lot, but you, God, they treat you nice over there, and, and they, they're very, a lot of really intense music fans and a great circuit, and plus, you know, it's exotic to go to places you never imagined you'd be going. Right, and, and even it seems, though, for you setting up a tour, I mean, you do a seven- or eight-week tour of, you know, good shows, whereas, I mean, I, from what I remember the last few years touring here, I mean, you'll play in the East Coast, but, I mean, as far as, you know, getting in and doing a six-week tour, I mean, you go to Austin and play six shows and got to come back, right? I, mean, it's, I do it that way. Now. Yeah, I mean, I used to do the whole giant oval, the, the, you know, the giant yeah. Indy 500 touring of America where you get in the van and do the whole country. Tasting. It's a big country. Any, I mean, I'm sure a lot. I'm, I don't know if you have. I'm sure a lot of listeners have, have driven from coast to coast. It's a huge country. And the thing about touring the U.S. is, it's a long ways from, say, Minneapolis to the West Coast. You know, if you play on the east part of the U.S., right. you go out and play. Go from New York, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago. Um, yeah. You know, um, um, Boston. Boston. DC. Yeah, and a lot of cool cities in between, like Rochester and Buffalo. There are a lot of cities. But once you get to the middle of the country. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, like, I've played Salt Lake City more times than I really would have wanted to play Salt Lake just to break up the drive from Minneapolis <laughs> to San Francisco. It's just, uh, yeah, now generally when I tour the U.S., I will fly out to one area and I'll play the West Coast all right, at once. Right, up and down the West yeah, Coast. Or yeah. play the Midwest all at once or things like that. Thank you. 
okay.
The Numbering of the Dust If the shutters be all but closed in a room, when the sun is shining in, myriads of floating particles can be seen glistening in the stream of light. Their number seems inexhaustible. According to Milton, the follies of life are thick and numberless as the gay motes that people the sunbeams. Can these, then, be counted? Yes, Dr. Aitken has numbered the dust of the air. I shall never forget my rapt astonishment the day I first numbered the dust in the lecture-room of the Royal Society of Edinburgh, with his instrument, and under his direction. This wonderfully ingenious instrument was devised on this principle, that every fog particle has entombed in it an invisible dust particle. A definite small quantity of common air is diluted with a fixed large quantity of dustless air, i.e. air that has been filtered through cotton wool. The mixture is allowed to be saturated with water vapour. Then the few particles of dust seize the moisture, become visible in fine drops, fall on a divided plate, and are there counted by means of a magnifying glass. That is the secret. I shall now give you a general idea of the apparatus. Into a common glass flask of carafe shape, and flat-bottomed, of thirty cubic inches capacity, are passed two small tubes, at the end of one of which is attached a small square silver table, one inch in length. A little water having been inserted, the flask is inverted, and the table is placed exactly one inch from the inverted bottom, so that the contents of air right above the table are one cubic inch. This observing table is divided into one hundred equal squares, and is highly polished, with the burnishing all in one direction, so that during the observations it appears dark, when the fine mist particles glisten opal-like with the reflected light, in order that they may be more easily counted. The tube to which the silver table is attached is connected with two stopcocks, one of which can admit a small measured portion of the air to be examined. The other tube in the flask is connected with an air pump of ten cubic inches capacity. Over the flask is placed a covering, coloured black in the inside. In the top of this cover is inserted a powerful magnifying glass, through which the particles on the silver table can be easily counted. A little to the side of this magnifier is an opening in the cover through which light is concentrated on the table. To perform the experiment, the air in the flask is exhausted by the air pump. The flask is then filled with filtered air. One-tenth of a cubic inch of the air to be examined is then introduced into the flask, and mixed with the thirty cubic inches of dustless air. After one stroke of the air pump, this mixed air is made to occupy an additional space of ten cubic inches, and this rarefying of the air so chills it that condensation of the water vapour takes place on the dust particles. The observer, looking through the magnifying glass upon the silver table, sees the mist particles fall like an opal shower on the table. He counts the number on a single square in two or three places, striking an average in his mind. Suppose the average number upon a single square were five, then on the whole table there would be five hundred, and these five hundred particles of dust are those which floated invisibly in the cubic inch of mixed air right above the table. But as there are forty cubic inches of mixed air in the flask and barrel, the number of dust particles in the whole is twenty thousand. That is, there are twenty thousand dust particles in the same quantity of common air, one-tenth of a cubic inch, which was introduced for examination. In other words, a cubic inch of the air contained two hundred thousand dust particles, nearly a quarter of a million. The day I used the instrument, we counted four million of dust particles in a cubic inch of the air outside of the room, due to the quantity of smoke from the passing trains. Dr. Aitken has counted in one cubic inch of air immediately above a Bunsen flame the fabulous number of 489 million of dust particles. A small instrument has been constructed which can bring about results sufficiently accurate for ordinary purposes. It is so constructed that, when the different parts are unscrewed, 
they fit into a case four and a half inches by two and a half by one and a quarter deep, about the size of an ordinary cigar case. After knowing this, we are apt to wonder why our lungs do not get clogged up with the enormous number of dust particles. In ordinary breathing, thirty cubic inches of air pass in and out at every breath, and adults breathe about fifteen times every minute. But the warm lung surface repels the colder dust particles, and the continuous evaporation of moisture from the surface of the air tubes prevents the dust from alighting or clinging to the surface at all.
Last month, uh, well, last time round, Stramash 41 was Adventures in Free Podcasting and one of the tracks I played I found via SoundCloud and it was by an artist called Neural Zolotti. I think you might remember me tell, telling you a bit about it. Um, but after the show went out, we, we carried on the conversation on SoundCloud because I wanted to know what... I wanted to know why the song or the soundscape turned out the way it did and um, it's quite a difficult thing to explain it's hard enough to explain a song with lyrics but, but an instrumental um, I find it it's quite pers- it's very personal so it's quite difficult to explain but Neuro Zolotti um, I still don't know their real name but Neuro Zolotti uh, rolled back and explained it in great detail and so I'm going to read out uh, bits of the email to you just now just while the song's playing so you can get an idea of where it's coming from. If you want to hear the song un- uninterrupted then I suggest you download Stramash 41 Adventures in Free Podcasting which is still available on iTunes. Anyway, the message goes, Hi Ian, the first part of Violet was made uh, like only an instrumental song, more like a lullaby and they did that part in Fruity Loops. Um, they then decided to put some noises from Super Collider, some really noisy textures but with still the idea of a lullaby. And, and during that time, um, they were making the track, the country starts being more and more violent, so they decided to make the intro with a piano uh, using Ableton and with Audacity. 
they mixed the song together but then they knew they wanted to hear some children having fun at the beach because Veracruz which is a place in Mexico became so violent in those days Veracruz is beautiful uh, place in my country with lots of beaches and beautiful natural places maybe you can search some images from Veracruz and Google for an idea of the place I suggest you do that it's beautiful um, very nice place I think without the violence uh, so the Neuros Lotte searched for a video of children playing on the beach and they wrote to the people who uploaded it uh, and got permission and they mixed the sounds in with the track but filtered out all the noisy textures it's like a message of noise, chaos, violence and taking control of the beauty and hope it's a nice, nice uh, little sentence there for a final touch I decided to include a song by a really cool group from Veracruz called Los Parentes de Playa Vicente hope it's pronounced correctly um, it's translated as the relatives from Vicente Beach. The song is called La Loranchita, The Crying Little Woman. Part of the lyrics I included says, Sweet Mother Earth cries by the sea, the river and the wind. By the sea, the river and the wind. Sweet Mother Earth cries, she reminds us with the dawn that love feeds us and that love feeds us and reminds us with the dawn. Uh, and that music is called Son Jaroco. It's traditional music from Veracruz. And that was the end of the song. The name Violet, and I'm quite interested in why it was called Violet, is uh, a friend of his, or a friend of theirs. Um, and she's a really complex girl. And the making of Violet took a long time. And also because the Violet is such a beautiful and peaceful colour. That was really good English, actually. I mean, they were apologising for English their English all the way through the email, but I thought that was a fantastic description of the song, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it again.
Thank you.